Originally, Memorial Day was honored, was uh, originally established to honor those killed in the American Civil War. And, uh, but it's eventually become a day where we honor all the American dead and remember them. One of the reasons why it's so powerful is because Jesus set the tone originally when he first said in John 15, he said, I command you to love each other in the same way that I love you. And here is how you measure it. The greatest love is shown when people lay down their lives for their friends. You want me to try this one? From the Revolutionary War to the present, think about this, all those dates and all those wars and conflicts, 848,163 American combat soldiers have given their lives. Roughly. How many here, would you just stand if you have family or close friends or you know of someone who has been killed in combat in the American military. Thank you. Parents, it's so important that we pass on to the next generation about the sacrifices of those who have laid down their lives, who have fought for our liberty, May we never forget or take it for granted the sacrifices that they have made. I'd also like to point out that uh, we, we would be remiss if we did not recognize the Allied military sacrifice of the Great Wars. Today we would likely be speaking a different language. We would not have the freedoms that we have if there were not been a collective effort to stop the forces of evil during that era of our history. In World War II, combat soldiers between 7 and 9 million lost their lives or missing. That doesn't include all the atrocities with, you know, that's just combat soldiers. The civilian loss was much, much greater than that. World War II between 15 and 18 million dead or missing. Think about the, the gap there between 15 and 18. Three million people, they're just, they're just like, it's somewhere in that neighborhood. I want to read something. It is the soldier, not the minister, who has given us freedom of religion. It is the soldier, not the reporter, who has given us freedom of the press. It's the soldier, not the poet, who has given us freedom of speech. It's the soldier, not the campus organizer, who has given us freedom to protest. It's the soldier, not the lawyer, who has given us the right to a fair trial. It's the soldier, not the politician, who has given us the right to vote. It's the soldier who salutes the flag who serves beneath the flag and whose coffin is draped by the flag who allows the protester to burn the flag. I just want to conclude this 
commemoration, remembrance of Memorial Day with this part of Lincoln's speech is his dedication of the National Cemetery at Gettysburg in 1863. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth upon this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. We here highly resolve that the dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom, and that government of the people, by the people, and for the people shall not perish from this earth. Amen? Amen. I'm also reminded of... uh, I'm going to have Linda Walker come up here and and, uh, share as well. Um, But... I am reminded at the end of Saving Private Ryan, if you've seen that movie before, and Tom Hanks, who plays the captain, and uh, at the end there, he says, he says uh, to him, just as Private Ryan is leaving, and uh, Tom Hanks, captain, is about to die. He sustained mortal wounds, and he says, make this worth it. Make our sacrifice worth it. And that is what is being said to us. That's what all those who have given their lives are saying to us. They were put in a position where they really didn't have much of a choice, many of them, to give their lives. But they were willing to the point of death. And they are saying to us today, this generation, make it worth it. Make our sacrifice worth it. Yeah. I asked Linda to come and share. Uh, we, we got together with Don and Linda here not too long ago. And uh, she was sharing with us just some things that God's been doing with her at, tea, at uh, her place of work at the Tea Room, Elizabeth and Alexander's in Bothell. And uh, so I, wanna, I wanted her to just share a quick testimony about what the Lord's been doing. Jen, I'll get you connected here. Good morning. Um, A couple of weeks ago, like Eric said, we were meeting with him, and I was telling him a story that uh, I waitress at a small tea house, and uh, I was serving this this four-top, four ladies, and I really felt the Lord tell me to go pray for this lady. I didn't know her. I didn't know anything about her. I go through that instantaneous thing where you say, Lord, are you sure? I don't know what I'm going to say. And most of the time, he doesn't show up until you open your mouth to say something. <laughs> so I just went up and said, would it be okay if I prayed for you? I feel like I'm supposed to. And she paused for a second. She goes, well, yeah, go ahead. So I just began to pray and prophesy over her for probably two or three minutes. And when I, when I got done, I opened my eyes, and she was bawling. And I said, can you tell me what was going on? And she said, Well, what you don't know is uh, two weeks ago, my son committed suicide. And she said, everything that you just prayed were the internal struggles that I had been going through for the last two weeks. Questions that I had about God, questions about where I'm to go, how I'm supposed to handle this. And the things that you pray don't make any sense to you, Um, meaning me. She goes, but they make incredible sense to me. And Mm. she said, I don't know what I would have done if you hadn't prayed. And she said, you also need to know that I... Coming into the restaurant, uh, if you had asked me if I believed on 
it was people laying on of hands and praying for people, I would have said no. She goes, I don't believe men praying over men and women praying over women. She goes, I, I totally disagree with that. She said, but because of the internal things that only me and God knew about that you shared, she goes, I now am a believer of, of people praying over each other. That was on a Friday, and on a Tuesday, I felt the same thing with this group of ladies. I, I walked up to a lady, and I said, can I pray for you? And she said, I, I said, I really feel like I'm supposed to. And she said, well, yeah, go ahead. So I began to pray for her for just a couple minutes, and when I opened my eyes, once again, she's bawling. And I said, can you tell me what's going on? And she said, what you don't know is that my husband and I have been called to North Carolina to go pastor a church. And she said, I have been waiting for the Lord to address six specific issues that I had about moving. And she goes, I really told the Lord, God, I need to have these answers before I get on the plane. Um, And she goes, I hadn't gotten them. And she goes, I'm leaving from here to go get on the plane. And those very six issues that I was waiting for the Lord to speak to, she said, you addressed every six issue. And she goes, I can now go from here to go get on the plane and have those issues resolved. And so it's one of those things where, you guys, we don't know what is going on in people's lives and we all feel that umption where we go I feel like I should pray for that person you don't know why and you don't know how you're going to break in to go do it but three weeks before that a lady walked into the tea house and I said you look really sad can I can I help you and she said yeah my daughter was just murdered she goes she got shot in the face six times and I didn't know what to do so I got in the car and I drove And I felt like I was supposed to come into this restaurant. She goes, I've never been here before, but I knew if I came here, someone would pray for me. So I had the chance just to pray for her and just minister to her heart as she was dealing with her daughter that had just gotten murdered. I mean, so instances like that, you guys, we don't know what people are going through. We don't know what our words of, you look really sad what's going on we don't know what's waiting to be unlocked in them and I know Linda does this weekly too where we Linda and I have just kind of resolved to the fact that we're just going to make fools of ourselves and if someone says no you can't pray for us that's never happened has it Linda but you know what you guys it's like that in our workplace and in our ministry it's when we're at the grocery store and someone looks sad we don't know that they're waiting for someone to pray before they go get on a plane or or that their daughter had just been murdered or any of those things so wow what an amazing coincidence A powerful coincidence, right? I mean, she so she got out her tarot cards and she began to... How does that happen? How is it possible that someone is able to literally, as they say, read somebody's mail 
you know, to be able to tap into, as we've been talking about in our series of worship, Wired for Worship, we're able to tap into another dimension in the Spirit, the kingdom of heaven, and God moves His will and His purpose into earth through human agency, through us. But there's a few requirements, and we have to be, as she was talking about, available and willing. And it's happened so many times, if you have jumped out and moved out on the edge of that limb before, it usually, you know, God comes through right before you feel like that limb's going to snap and break. It's like, there's no one else out here to help me, I'm just going to go for it. But it's the love of Jesus that compels us, compels us beyond our fear, beyond our apprehension. It's the power of God. This morning, I want to, I want to begin uh, next week as well. We want to touch on this, the, the whole issue of Pentecost. And we're, we're in a season uh, of the church. Ever, anyone not heard of Pentecost or familiar with that? There's this story that takes place in, in Acts 2 where the church gets its launch. So the church didn't exist before Acts chapter 2. But uh, at this time, something really powerful happens. Jesus has been with his disciples up to this point that we read in the Gospels. And he has been working with them. He's been training them. He's been uh, increasing their faith. He's been breathing his life into them by the Spirit of God. And they're uh, beginning to kind of wake up to the fact that, man, this is, this is really... This is really a serious deal, and you know, I know Jesus, we believe he's the Messiah, and he's going to uh, come and just you know, deal with this oppression that we've been under by the Roman Empire. And then he goes and dies on them. He gets crucified, and we were just in the season of Passover. As much as we might think that some of those things are just you know, Jewish holidays or something like that, Passover... Um, which, uh, which started back in Egypt, where the angel of death passed over uh, the, the children of Israel, those who had the, the blood on the doorposts and the lentils, which represented back then was a, a, a foreshadowing, as they put it up here at the top, where it would represent the head of the, the crown of thorns of Jesus, and on the sides of the doorposts that would represent his hands, and the bucket at the bottom that would represent his feet that were pierced for our sins. And this was a foreshadowing, so God commanded them to commemorate and remember this blood sacrifice that covered them, that caused the angel of death to pass over them so that they could continue to live as the people of God. And so Jesus is with his guys, and then he, he is crucified on the cross. So this big dream that they have of, you know, fighting back and taking over the Roman Empire and, you know, having, you know, God, Jesus rallying this big army, all hope is lost. But then he comes through, doesn't he? He comes through three days later, he rises from the dead. He's resurrected and it's like hope is alive again. 
40 days later, Jesus would ascend into heaven. He says, I want you to, I want you to go ahead and turn with me to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, and this is Luke writing the book of Acts for us. He's going to talk to us about the early church. And in verse 4 it says, In one of these meetings, as he was eating a meal with them, this is Jesus before he's taken up, he says, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you what he promised. Remember, I have told you about this before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So 10 days later, from the time that Jesus is resurrected from the dead at Passover until the, uh, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that we'll get to in Acts chapter 2 is 50 days. Pentecost meaning 50. Well, it's interesting that Passover actually doesn't begin in Acts chapter 2. It begins back in the Old Testament. I want us to take a look at this. Pentecost was a time when thousands of Hebrews converged on Jerusalem to commemorate the giving of the law that came down on Mount Sinai. So in, cha- in, the, in the book of Exodus, we read, remember the, he, Moses says, get all the people together, and then they have this massive gathering, and God gives them the law, the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt have no other gods before me, you know, uh, keep the Sabbath day, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Everybody's pretty familiar with those. And so they would, they would converge uh, to Jerusalem. Jerusalem's population would increase by about 3 million people during this festival and feast time. So you've got tons of people here. And each time that we see Jesus do something significant in his life, it's marked by one of these festivals or feasts or seasons in the Jewish life, their season, their calendar. So they would always celebrate the giving of the law that came down on Mount Sinai. So we read in Exodus 19 and chapter 20, they gathered all in one place, and it says that Mount Sinai was filled with fire. There was thundering, there was lightning. Jewish scholars actually believe that people actually saw the voice of God. That's them, they believe that. Coming out of the mountain in tongues of fire. How do you see the voice of God in tongues of fire? When they came out of Egypt, so that there were six million plus Jews. They, they had been in Egypt for how many years? How many hundreds of years had the Jews been in Egypt? 400 years. They lived throughout Egypt. So when they came out of Egypt, they had many different languages that they spoke, knew, and understood. Especially a number of different dialects. But here, 
God is speaking to them. He's giving the law. And they saw the tongues and they heard the voice of God in their own languages so that they could understand what he was saying. Dr. Richard Booker, he says this, Since it seems strange to see voices, this phrase was translated as thunder and lightning, but the voices sounded like thunder and appeared as fire. So when God gave the Ten Commandments, this was, I mean, an amazing revelation of the glory of God. We kind of, I mean, in all the different stories, you know, that you hear in Sunday school and stuff, you kind of just gloss over and be like, that's cool, lightning and thunder and the mountains shaking, isn't that sweet? These people were literally falling on their faces. They did not, they they told Moses, we don't want to go near the mountain because if we do, we know God's going to kill us. So we just, why don't you have God speak to you and then you talk to us? They didn't even want to hear his voice. Now, as the law is given at Mount Sinai and God comes down on that mountain, because of their sin, 3,000 people died that day. God struck dead 3,000 people. So what we see from Scripture is that the first Pentecost did not happen in the book of Acts, but in Exodus. And as you listen to that story, some of you who are familiar with Acts 2, you're already connecting the dots. Loud noise, thunder, all this kind of stuff, God coming down, 3,000 people dying. But the story's a little bit different when we get to Acts. We need to remember this. This is always important. Sometimes we just, we, we check out, you know, we, we just say Old Testament, not really necessary for today. We've got to remember what the writers of the New Testament, their Bible, was the Old Testament. And so scholars say it this way. They say Old Testament, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. You look at the Old Testament and you're looking and you're going, wow, man, that looks really familiar. Well, it's because they were using that script to write what they did in the New Testament. So the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. So the first Pentecost in Mount Sinai, God wrote his words on tablets of stone. But God promised through the prophet Jeremiah that one day he would write his laws on their hearts and on their minds. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. Talks about, I'm going to write my words on your hearts and on your minds. So after Jeremiah spoke those words to the children of Israel, it would be 1,500 years that the children of Israel would be celebrating Pentecost over year after year after year after year. It's not till Acts 2 that they would actually realize the fulfillment of the, the outpouring of what God desired to do. 1,500 years. Each year, going home from this festival in Jerusalem, disappointed. We didn't get it on our hearts. It's still on stone. So we just picked up the action here in Acts chapter 1. And in verse 6, it says, When the apostles were with Jesus, 
they kept asking him, Lord, are you going to free Israel now? Are you gonna are you gonna bring the army now? Is this is this the time that we've been waiting for? This freedom from our oppression? He says in verse seven, the father sets those dates, and they're you're, 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 those are not for you to know. You're kind of on a need to know basis. You don't need to know at this point, so just hang out. And they would they what they didn't know they didn't know how long, but it would be another ten days. So they're at the forty day mark where he ascends. He goes up right after he says this, and then ten days later, the big reveal is going to take place. So he says this. He told him, I want you to go to Jerusalem in verse 4. I want you to wait there until you receive what the farmer, what the, the farmer, what the father promised. Holy Spirit, we just declare again our complete and total dependency upon you to be able to know, to be able to perceive and discern by the Spirit what your word has to say. We're asking that you would do what only you can do and show us what we need to see at this time. Verse 8, but when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will receive power and will tell people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Holy Spirit's a new new guy. He he had been, you know, gave a little preview back in in the Gospel of John. He begins talking about Holy Spirit when Jesus uh, was sharing some things with them there, but they're not really cluing into what's going on. They're they're kind of in the dark. But, you know, and he'd said, you know, Matthew 28, he's like, "Go, go, man, do this. Everybody's raw, raw, raw." And then he says, "No, wait." Now actually wait. Wait, go wait because you can't accomplish what it is that you're supposed to accomplish until I give you this special gift. He's coming. He's coming. Wait for Him. Don't do anything. Don't go anywhere until you receive the baptism of the Spirit. So it was not long after He says this that He was taken up into the sky while they were watching and He disappeared into a cloud. And as they were straining their eyes to see him, two white-robed men suddenly stood there among them. They said, Men of Galilee, why are you standing here staring at the sky? Let's go. Let's move it. Jesus has been taken away from you into heaven. And someday, just as you saw him, he will return. He will return. So when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power... Which results in what? Help me out. So when you receive power, what's going to happen as a result? Testimony? What was that? You'll be my witnesses. Okay, in a different translation is here, it says be my witnesses. In the New Living here, it says you're going to tell people about me everywhere. you got to have the power and having the power is going to result in you telling people and witnessing. I think it's interesting, too, that he's, he's talking to some Jewish guys. And he says, first of all, he says, Jerusalem. 
Jerusalem was the hometown. That's where they were at the time. So he's, he's bringing in the local aspect. Your neighbor, your town, uh, you know, where you shop, where, you know, groceries, all that kind of stuff. The tea room. That's our, we, everybody has a Jerusalem. And then he says to Judea. So it's not just local, it's, it's regional. It's King County, it's Snohomish County. And then he includes another region, Samaria. Now, when they heard Samaria, for those of you who started off in the home group, you, you remember we talked about the good story of the Good Samaritan. So when they heard Samaria, they were cringing. They're just like, did I just hear what I think he just said? Remember, the Jews and the Samaritans, they hated each other. Hated each other. So isn't it interesting? He could have just went from local to regional to global. But instead he went local, regional, regional, nasty, hate them, don't like them, don't want to be around them, don't want to, you know. We all have our Samaria. We all have our Samaria that we're called to. The least, the less. Those that even though we probably would never want to admit it, we have our, we have our issues. We have our ethnic biases. We have, you know, stuff that we were raised with, experiences with different ones. And we have special names for them. When we're in a company of people, maybe that we think would agree with us, we might throw those things out. But it's because we fail to see them the way that God sees them. Because he sees them here. He's included them. He says, they're an object of my love. And it says, to the ends of the earth. To the ends of the earth. So what kind of power are we receiving? We're not going to go long today. Uh, This morning we're just going to touch on this and we'll pick it up again next week. What kind of power are we, are we receiving? What, what does Jesus tell them to wait for? In the Greek, it's dunamis. It's Holy Spirit power. It's something that's infused in you. Something that's given to you. That you couldn't have any other way except for if you receive from Him. How about the word Witness. You'll be excited to hear about this one. In the Greek, the word witness means martyr. Good times, huh? I don't know about you, I'm very challenged by that. Because Here's what I'm challenged with. When Jesus gives the direction, he says, the only way you're going to be able to fulfill the call that I have put on your life is if you receive the baptism, a total saturation of Holy Spirit power. Because we just experienced Passover, where the Lamb came, we were saved, we're excited, it's like Jesus is alive, this is awesome, I'm good to go, I got my ticket to heaven. Many Christians stop right there. They're good with Jesus, they've appropriated Jesus as their Passover Lamb. But he says, nope, there's another stage. 
after he ascended, he's there, there, there's no way that you can do all that I've called you to do. There's no way we can fulfill Father's dream for the one who sent me unless I send someone else. And there's no way that you can fulfill that dream unless you are infused with a power from heaven. You're completely baptized in that. And as a result of that power being infused into you, you are going to do something. You're going to become a witness for me. You're going to tell everyone about me. Your whole life is going to speak of me. So, if I'm not a bold witness for Jesus, willing, willing, not looking for an opportunity to die, but willing to lay down my life for the gospel, what does that say about the Holy Spirit, the reality of the Holy Spirit in my life, filling me, working through me, using me? Again, this is the very inception of the church. They're getting their marching orders from the commander and the chief of God's kingdom. Anybody else in here uh, maybe found a bit wanting in that department? Like, where's the boldness? Peter, who at Passover, they're celebrating these different feasts, and Peter, what happens to him? Hey, aren't you the guy? Hey, you, you've been hanging out with Jesus. What did he do? Completely denies him. Cowers. No, 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 it wasn't me. And Jesus told him ahead of time it was going to happen. Before, the, before he crows three times, you're going to deny me. And Peter at Acts, in Acts 2 stands up and boldly declares... You guys are the ones who murdered him. You guys, you're the ones who crucified him on the cross. See, he had just received a powerful infusion of something from another dimension. Something from heaven had come down and infused him that he would be bold to be a witness and willing to lay it all on the line and say, whatever it takes, whatever it costs me, I'm willing to do this. Holy Spirit, use me in any way that you can. We're going to pick this up again uh, next week in part two here, but we're looking at this season of Pentecost. And I, I would encourage you to take time to get into Exodus chapter 19, chapter 20, and then in Acts 2. Look at what are the points of emphasis, what are the directions of Jesus. Acts 1.8, meditate on that over and over again. Let it provoke you. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, you, you were to come upon me in power so that I would be a bold witness for Christ. What does that look like?
God, how do you want to use me? How can I be a, a, a vehicle of your love to others? Amen. Let's stand. going to pray for us. Holy Spirit, let your word go deep in us. Let us see what we must see according to your perspective. Help us look past our, our Western mindset, our American mindset. What were you calling your guys, the closest guys to you, the guys who knew you the best? They carried your heart. What was the action that they took? What was the power that was released in their life? God, we want to be counted among those close to your heart that carry your heart. In Jesus' name, amen.